Welcome to the Untold Tales Audio Anthologies. Written by Dr. Jeffrey A. Robinson and narrated by Melissa Del Toro Schaffner. The Edge You do realize that you're talking to yourself, don't you? I mean, literally. Matt Tanner leaned back in the console chair, listening to the computer program he had just invoked. I know, he replied softly. The light from the screen was the brightest on the bridge of the nearby empty station. Matt had dimmed all the other lights. It was a waste of power, and besides, he preferred darkness when he was in one of his moods. It was easier to sulk and feel sorry for himself when the lights were low. The shadowy corridors and the darkened rooms were somehow soothing as he sulked in frustration at his powerlessness to change his situation. I'm only a computer model of your own personality and can only respond as I've been programmed. I know what you know. I think what you would think. If you're talking to me again because you're depressed, you're talking to the wrong person and you're only going to get sadder. I know, but I need to talk to somebody. There's no one else here. Yeah, that's what's so sad. After the moment of silence, they both sighed in unison. Matt glared at the holographic display and reached over to the control module in his forearm to terminate the program, but stopped. The wearable electronic computer accessory remotely linked him to all the systems on Station 5. With the touch of a button, he could turn on or off lighting, control the power generators, adjust environmental controls, or activate station weapon systems. He could even trigger the station self-destruct. But nothing he controlled could get him off this station or get him home. The facilities that could accommodate a crew of nearly 200 had sat empty for decades, waiting for the arrival of people Matt was now convinced would never come. Look... I just need to talk, even if I'm really just talking to myself. I just need you to listen. There are other programs you could talk to. Some have special programming that might help. I've tried those. Most are models of experts on different station systems that I can learn from or consult with. They know all about the translocation gate, engineering, life support, medical systems, even combat operations. But I don't want to be lectured or advised or counseled. I just want someone to listen while I work things out. Looking at the image projected by the program was like staring into a mirror. Sometimes it was unnerving, but at the moment, it was familiar, comfortable, and soothing. Okay, just let me go over it again. What am I missing? What could have happened? Well... Obviously, something must have happened with the gate at Station 4. Or they would have contacted us or come back like everyone had planned. But if Station 4 blew up or something, then they would have rebuilt Station 4 and its gate by launching a construction vessel from Station 3, and in 20 years they would have been up and running again. And then they would have reconnected up to our gate here on Station 5, and everyone would have started work on a new construction vessel to launch to build Station 6. Right. All the necessary materials would be passed along from one station to the next until they arrived here. 
But, when this station was finally completed, everyone rotated back for shore leave, and the new crew was supposed to arrive while you watched the station till the new crew arrived. But no one came. I was only supposed to be alone here for a few hours. So, something must have happened at Station 4, because we've somehow been cut off. But again, they could have rebuilt Station 4, if anything happened, even if it took another 20 years for a ship launched from Station 3. Too much time and money has been invested in Operation Andromeda for them to give up. The chain of translation gates that's supposed to link the Milky Way galaxy with Andromeda is already more than halfway finished. But 20 years is a long time to wait for a gate to be rebuilt. Which is why I placed myself in cryosleep. However, when I woke, no one had arrived. So, I figured they might be delayed a year or two. Which is why you took the second 20-year-long cryosleep after being awake for the required year after waking. Matt nodded. If he'd had a choice, he would have simply stayed in hibernation until the replacement crew arrived. But there was a maximum amount of time you could stay in suspended animation. Even when frozen, the brain wasn't perfectly preserved. After 20 years, the information stored in neural networks started to fade, and people had to be awakened so their brains and bodies could heal. Regulations required that hibernation subjects remain awake at least one year before they could return to suspended animation. After I waited a full year, I figured they'd just wake me up if everyone returned, while I slept. But you slept a second 20 years, and no one woke you up, and no one arrived. Even though it's now been well over 40 years. And you've waited here alone all that time, expecting the replacement crew to arrive. Matt, I hate to say it, but it looks like no one's coming. So now I have a choice. Yeah, you could remain awake for another year and then go back to cryosleep again for another 20 years. Or I could just reset the controls so that I don't wake up automatically. In which case, damage to your brain would become irreversible after about 25 years, so that if someone did arrive and woke you up, you'd be a cripple. Or I might just never wake up and I would die. Neither Matt nor the program spoke for several minutes. Finally, Matt said, at least it would be painless. But you'd never know what happened either. So, what should I do? Well, you can't leave in the ship that brought you here. It was built at Station 4 and was cannibalized to construct this station and its gate after traveling 20 years to get this far. And I can't build a ship to go back. I don't have all the materials. Right. When everyone here at Station 5 finished building the gate here and activated it, a crew rotation was supposed to occur. Matt nodded. With everyone from here returning home and a new crew arriving, who'd receive all the materials through the gate to build the next ship? And the next gate at what would become Station 6? But even if I had the materials, I'd never be able to build a ship alone. You're not an engineer. You were a navigator. And I can't reach the other gates at stations 1, 2, or 3. They're too far. Beyond a maximum range of any translation gate. 
Another long silence interrupted the strange monologue. So what could have happened to Gate 4? You made a list the last time you were awake. Do you want me to read it back to you? Sure. Okay. Here's what you came up with, in order of the probability you assigned. A malfunction in the antimatter generator that blew up Station 4. The Andromeda Project could have been cancelled. Something's happened back on Earth that changed their priorities. Again, in order of likelihood, it could have been politics, a new government, loss of funding, loss of sponsors, loss of interest, economic collapse, ecological collapse, a natural disaster, war, disease, alien invasion, or the sun could have gone nova. Whatever happened could be temporary, or it could be permanent. Both of them shook their heads and said, Damn, in unison. You're not as upset as you should be about all this. I know. I think that's why they picked me to stay behind while everyone went on shore leave. I have a high stability quotient. All candidates for the space service are screened for that. Yes, but I scored higher than anyone before me. So you're saying that you wouldn't be here if you just let yourself go once in a while? You know, lost your temper or got in a fight? Don't make me turn you off. You know I was just kidding. Yeah, I do, said Matt, grinning. So what are you going to do now? Eat? Exercise? Watch another movie? You've still got the entire station digital library at your disposal, and about 100,000 books you haven't read yet. And that's just counting the ones in English. Nah, I'm not in the mood. Sometimes when he was bored, he played video games or used the station virtual reality programs. Last week, he played with the station weapon systems, creating a spectacular pyrotechnic display. But he wasn't in the mood for any of those things today. I think I'll just sit here for a while and watch the stars. Turning his chair toward the large wall portal, he leaned back and put his hands behind his head. With all illumination turned off, the view was spectacular. The visual effect was as if he were floating in space outside the ship. The Andromeda galaxy loomed in the distance, so far out in the space between galaxies that he could not distinguish any individual stars. A star the size of the sun would be too small to see from just 11 light-years away. Of the 3,000 stars visible to the human eye from Earth, all were less than 100 light-years away. From his vantage point here, he was nearly 1 million light-years away from the nearest star. The Andromeda galaxy was clearly visible, but it was a fuzzy blur of lights. Individual features were clusters of hundreds or thousands of stars. Still, the view was spectacular, but depressing. While he was so far from home, he was only halfway to Andromeda. Without the remaining stations built, there was no way to reach the galaxy that seemed so close. But with the chain of stations behind him broken, there was no way to get home. Matt wasn't afraid as much as he was simply lonely. While he had spent more than 40 years in cryosleep since everyone left, he had still spent more than a year alone and awake on the station. He really didn't want to die out here alone, literally at the edge of nowhere. All he really wanted was to go home, somehow, someday. 
after what might have been hours or mere minutes, Matt fell asleep and dreamed of floating amongst the stars. After a time, he dreamt of flying in space around the Earth, fighting spectacular battles with alien ships and magnificent weapons. Yawning, Matt stretched and opened his eyes. Stars filled his view, and he was so relaxed that he felt like he was floating. He reached for the armrest next to him, but his hand found nothing solid. Looking around, he saw too many stars, not just out in the portal in front of him. Below him and to one side, he clearly saw the exterior of Station 5. On his left, the Milky Way galaxy glowed brightly, and the spiral of the Andromeda Spiral Galaxy shined magnificently on his right. Blinking, he realized he was outside the ship, and floating in space. He instinctively started screaming, and he continued screaming. He flailed wildly, trying to grasp anything solid, but there was nothing around him. All he managed to do was to set himself slowly spinning. Still, he continued to scream. His high-pitched wail continued until his throat was raw, and he started to run out of breath. Panting, he realized that at least there was air around him. But that didn't make any sense. How could there be air around him if he was indeed floating in space? Slowly calming down, he stopped thrashing and examined his surroundings more closely. He very slowly turned, but all he saw was the equally distant galaxies and the dimly illuminated form of the Station 5 gate. What the fuck is going on? he asked aloud. Am I dreaming or hallucinating? Am I dead? No said a voice nearby. Huh? Matt said, looking around. I said, no, you are not dead. At least, not yet. Looking up in the direction of the voice, he noticed an odd group of stars he'd never seen before. Staring closely, he studied them and concluded that they weren't stars. There were too many grouped too close together. After a moment, he recognized that the odd stars were a reflection of some sort, distorted, as if they were bouncing from the surface of a perfectly mirrored sphere. In fact, when he stared closely, he could just make out his own shape in the center of the distorted star field. Turning on a light from the control module on his forearm, he waved the light back and forth and confirmed that something was floating about 20 feet away from him. It seemed to be several feet across, just small enough to cover with a span of his hand when he held it out in front of him. Where, where am I? He asked aloud once more. You are outside your vessel floating in space. You are surrounded by a bubble of distorted space, not unlike the event horizon of a black hole, without the awkwardness of excessive gravity. Anything can enter the sphere that you are within, like light, but nothing can leave. This retains your atmosphere and keeps you safe. How did I get here? asked Matt. I saw you in the window of your metal habitation and brought you closer to examine you. But how? I mean, how are you talking to me? Oh, I simply adjust the size of the sphere that you are in to modulate the air. The vibrations create sounds that you hear. Is this acceptable? Taking a deep breath, Matt closed his eyes and tried to calm himself. 
his heart still pounded as if it were going to explode. This must be an alien that I'm talking to, he thought to himself. This is some kind of first contact situation. It must be a very advanced race, hopefully benign. For a moment, the memory of dozens of science fiction novels came to mind as he struggled to recall information about aliens meeting humans. Unfortunately, few of the first contact stories he recalled ended well. Don't panic, he thought. Just stay calm and keep talking. Uh, hi. My name is Matt. What do I call you? Hmm, I hadn't considered that. Is there something you would prefer? Uh, what about Al? He suggested. For alien, he thought. That is acceptable. You may call me Al. Uh, is there a reason that you brought me here? Asked Matt. Well, I thought I might use this approach to talk to you. I haven't had a lot of success talking to members of your species. So I'm not the first? No. Who were the others? Well, first I tried to approach the members of one of your other way stations. Its designation was Station 4. When did you find them? A few years ago, by your reckoning, just after this station was completed. In fact, I have been studying your species for more than a century. Ever since you ventured beyond the limits of your own galaxy in your endeavors to reach another. Why have you been studying us? Because, while I have never approached other sentient life forms before, I have never before encountered a species that could fold space. Folding? Yes, folding space. It's what you do with your translation gates. That is how you move from one place to another, without passing through the space in between. It is basically what I've done to you here. I have always thought that only my species was capable of doing such things. Although your methods are incredibly primitive, it does make your species quite unique. So, you are very old then. By your standards, I am older than you can imagine. By those of my kind, I am still quite young. I am barely two cycles old. Cycle? We measure years by the time it takes for our planet to orbit our primary star, which we call the Sun. Yes, I know. I learned such facts when I learned your language more than a century ago. As I said, I have studied your kind for a significant amount of time, and I hesitated for a considerable time before I finally decided to approach any of you. Not without cause, by the way. Why? What happened? Well, as I said, I tried to contact those beings on Station 4, but I was not received well. At first, they didn't believe I was a sentient being. They thought I was a hoax or a hologram. So, I demonstrated some of my abilities, and they got quite scared. Before we could discuss very much, they blew themselves up.
Oh, God, thought Matt. The hostile alien protocols. Back on Station 4, the senior staff briefed everyone on these rules, but frankly, he'd forgotten about them. When the Andromeda Project was started, there were some people back on Earth who were afraid that if aliens took control of the gates, they could follow them directly back home. Thus, one of the highest mission protocols was a self-destruct mechanism that could collapse the antimatter confinement field in a station's power system and obliterate the station so that hostile aliens from another civilization could not get back to Earth. Wow, that explains a lot, he said, fighting to remain calm. Getting upset wasn't going to do anything, and if the alien collapsed the bubble, he would be dead in seconds. Uh, what happened then? Well, I pondered the situation for a time, and after considerable thought, I tried once more to communicate with members of your species. This time, I tried to speak with the crew of Station 3. I take it that didn't go well either. No, not really. We talked for a much longer time but they too destroyed themselves. However, I think it was done remotely from the crew from Station 2, with whom the crew was communicating through their translocation gate. Oh, that's not good, said Matt. That meant both Stations 3 and 4 were gone now. He really wasn't ever going to get home. No, I decided not to try to communicate with your species again. However, after quite a few years, I realized that, since you were trapped here, that it might be worth one final try. Yeah, thought Matt. I'm a real captive audience. Casually, Matt reached to his wrist computer and tried to activate the external station lights to see if his controls worked. However... Despite repeated attempts, nothing happened. Oh, that's right, he thought. The alien said the sphere around him would let anything in, but nothing out. That must mean electromagnetic signals, too. Uh, sure, that makes sense. And from here, I can't blow myself up, right? Precisely. There was a long silence. So, what would you like to talk about? Asked Matt. Well, I have examined all of the contents of your electronic libraries in your computers and listened to the electromagnetic communications by members of your race for many years. But I still don't know why you do these things. You mean like leaving our home, traveling in space, and blowing ourselves up? Exactly. The logic of these and other activities escapes me. Can you explain? Well, I would, but we're sort of told not to reveal things to other species if we ever met any aliens. But I told you that I already know everything in your computer data stores. I know where your home world is and have examined some of your colonies. Indeed. I think I can safely say that I know more about your species than you do. I estimate that your personal, biological capacity for information storage is limited to a few hundred of your gigabytes, while I have perused many thousands of petabytes of information about your kind, 
There are few things that you could tell me that I do not already know. Except, of course, for our reasons and motivations. That is correct. So what do I get out of it? What do you mean? I mean, if I cooperate and answer your questions, what do I get? Well, you could ask me questions of your own in turn. And we could continue until one or both of us are satisfied with our exchange of information. Yeah, well, that's not going to do me much good. Does that mean you do not value such information? I mean, I'm going to die out here. I've been stuck here for more than 40 years, and I have no way to get back home. What good is knowing the answers to the universe going to do me, if all I can do is die alone or commit suicide? Oh, so you want to go home. I could take you home. Huh? Really? You could? How? Well, I told you that my kind folds space naturally. And I am much better at it than your species is. I could easily take you back home after we've talked. Would that be sufficient? Yes, yes, oh my god, yes. But how do I know you can really do that? That's a good question to start with. Here, close your eyes for a moment. This might be a bit disorienting. Matt closed his eyes and saw a flash of light through his eyelids. But he felt no sensation of movement. Slowly and carefully, he peeked out of one eye and saw in front of him a massive expanse of stars that almost filled his field of vision. Wow! He exclaimed involuntarily. Where there had only been fuzzy lights before, he now saw the huge spiral of a galaxy filling the sky before him. Uh, where are we, and how did we get here? That is two more questions you owe me, but I will answer them first. You have arrived at your destination. You are at the edge of the Andromeda galaxy that your species was endeavoring so hard to reach. Turning around, Matt could barely make out the fuzzy nebula that must correspond to the Milky Way galaxy, his home, now more than two million light years away. He hadn't gotten closer to home. He was now even further away. So how long did it take to get here? No time at all, actually. We simply moved from one location to another, much like the way your translation gates work. Now... I get to ask a question. Why do you leave the safety of your planet? Why do you venture into space, a place you are naturally not designed to be? Why face the dangers and face death that is not necessary? Matt thought for a moment and replied, Because we are a curious species, I guess. Because it is a part of our nature not to be satisfied with things, but rather to constantly reach out and seek to understand more. I think I read somewhere that this urge has promoted the survival of our species. As we spread out across the stars, it reduces the chances that our species will die out by being in a single place. Hmm. I suppose that makes sense. I had considered that you were searching for something specific. But then, why, when you meet a new race, do you destroy yourself with such reckless haste? Matt frowned. 
Well, that's because we're also a little paranoid. As a result of our experiences reaching out to new places, we have sometimes encountered dangers and the fear of leading strangers or aliens to our home world, potentially placing it in danger, is very great. We are curious, but we're also fearful and sometimes perhaps too fearful. That is not logical. Those motivations oppose one another. Well, that depends on your priorities. One of the things we fear the most is the unknown, the things we do not understand. But our curiosity drives us to investigate such things anyway. Perhaps if we knew more about you, or if we had encountered you in different circumstances, we would likely act differently. Then perhaps it might be useful for your kind to learn more about me and my kind before I take you back home. Answer another question. What would you need to know to be less afraid? Matt thought for a moment. This was an incredible opportunity. Checking his wrist computer, he confirmed that it was recording. It was always recording what he did. That was one of its primary functions. People would know what happened to him even if he died. The wrist computer would save everything. But he had to keep the conversation going. What questions should he ask? Well, we're relatively new in our exploration of space. We only achieved faster-than-light travel about 800 years ago, and only learned to create stargates about 500 years ago. We've colonized more than 100 different worlds since then, but we're still learning and still exploring. How old is your race? As I said, we are older than you can imagine. While I am a mere two cycles old, there are some of my kind that are nearly a thousand. My kind, however, have existed for more than a million cycles. Where does your race come from? From our galaxy, the Milky Way, or Andromeda? Or are you from further away? We are from outside. Outside what? Outside your universe. What do you mean? Are you from a different parallel universe? No. It is the same universe. We are just from the outside. Here, let me show you. In an instant, a flash of light flared around him, blinding him momentarily. For a moment, he thought he had lost his sight, but then noticed the faint glow of his wrist computer. Beyond the bubble around him, he saw nothing. Okay, there is nothing here. What am I supposed to see? In front of you. Look more carefully. I have had to adjust the light frequencies so that they will be visible to you. Straining to see anything, he finally noticed a faint glow that spread across about 45 degrees of his field of vision. In all other directions, there was only complete darkness. What is that supposed to be? he asked. That is your universe. It is more than 60 billion light years across. And you are so far away that you could never distinguish any individual star. Indeed, you are too far to even see galaxies distinctly. The light reaching you is so phase-shifted due to energy loss that I have had to shift it back to your visible spectrum and amplify it for you. The faint glow that you see 
are a trillion galaxies even too faint to see individually. That glow is every star and iota of matter in your universe, viewed from more than 150 billion light-years away. My God, stammered Matt. That is amazing. I know. Ask another question. You said you were two cycles old. What is a cycle? Is it the time it takes for your homeworld to orbit its star? We have no home star, and we have no home world. A cycle is the time from when the fires of creation are kindled until they are rekindled once again. Fires of creation? What do you mean? Here, I will have to show you once more. Again, a flash of light blinded Matt for a moment. After his eyes should have adjusted, however, Matt found himself in complete darkness. There was not even the faintest smudge of light. The only thing he could see was the dim light from his arm telemetry unit. I don't see anything. Be patient. Are you familiar with the scientific theories that your race has regarding the origins of your universe? You mean the Big Bang? He asked. Yes, answered the alien. Look directly in front of you. Without warning, a pinpoint of light appeared. It grew and grew and then burned steadily like a beacon in the night. What is that? That is the moment you called the Big Bang. You mean, yes, we are very, very far away. And this is a point at the very edge of that energy wavefront that heralded the birth of your known universe. It will continue to spread and expand, getting fainter and fainter until it eventually dissipates. Those fires of creation will continue to burn for a billion years, creating all the matter that will eventually create all the stars and galaxies within which your species exist. But eventually, they will burn out too. After the embers cool and grow cold, my kind will harvest what remains. Then, after everything has been assimilated, the elders will call forth the fires of creation once more. From the time of one kindling to the next, is one cycle. You mean, a cycle is the age of the entire universe? Yes. From the time it is born, until the fires burn out and cool, until every star is dark and cold. You mean, you're billions of years old? Oh, I am far older than that. This far away from your universe, time flows much differently. Our concept of time is very different than your own. It is much more flexible. Your lives are so brief to us that it takes considerable effort to talk to you this way. How many of your kind are there? We are beyond counting. Numbers that large have no meaning. Where are they all? They are very far from here, 
so far that the wavefront of light you just saw will never reach them. Only the young, the curious, and the most foolish, like myself, come so close as this to creation's fires, for they would destroy us. What do you mean? I thought you visited us for centuries. Yes, but I do not visit personally. My material aspect is very far from here, far out in the darkness where light and energy will never reach. However, as I confessed, I too am young and curious, and I often search in the fires for mysteries to see what might be found. However, to do so is extremely dangerous. From so far away, I only warp space enough to create windows that I can peek through. I could never truly visit your universe. I would be destroyed long before I got close. Destroyed? How? I have read all of the technical books in the digital libraries of your stations. Are you familiar with the fifth state of matter? You mean solid, liquid, gas, and plasma? That is four. I am referring to the fifth. What happens when matter gets very, very cold? Racking his brain, he remembered something about supercold atoms. I think it was called a Bose-Einstein condensate. When matter gets very, very close to absolute zero, atoms stop moving and they get bigger and overlap one another. That is correct. What would happen to atoms if they became infinitely cold? Well, I guess they would continue to become fuzzier and become infinitely large. Matt's jaw dropped as he realized what Al really was. You mean, your race is made from that kind of matter? That's why you live so far out in the dark? It needs to be very cold where you are, right? Correct. We are made of matter, but energy, even the tiniest amount, would destroy us. Thus, we live further away from you than you could travel in the duration of a million cycles. But you triggered the Big Bang, didn't you? And your kind has done this over and over before. Why? As I said, we need matter. We are made of matter, though very, very cold by your measures. When the fires of creation cool, we take the matter that has cooled and draw it into ourselves. It is how we feed and grow. Then, when it is time, we light the fires again to create more matter. So you're immortal? No. We live a long time, but eventually even we die. One of the scientists in your libraries touched on the truth. Energy is the enemy of life. The colder a life form, the longer it lives. Energy damages the order of matter, breaks it into pieces. Energy causes entropy and chaos and decay. When all energy is gone, True order remains. Nothing changes except thought itself. 
So you must think fast. Your brains must be like superconducting computers. Yes, your scientists often speak of quantum computers, and they have even built a few. But they only work at very, very low temperatures, don't they? That might best describe what we are. Matt stared at the point of light in the distance, half wishing he could see more. But he was getting afraid. He was too far away, and felt the darkness closing in on him. Do you have any more questions? The alien asked. No, but I know I will regret saying that. Do you have any questions, Al? Oh, many. But you have clarified for me how to approach your kind so that I can eventually continue my conversations with your kind. I will have to appear in a far less threatening manner. Perhaps I will have to let your kind discover me. In your own time, I'll think of something. Your species is unique, as far as I know. I will discuss this with others of my kind. So... Do you want me to take you home now? Yes, I guess so, he said. Then, before he could comment further, light flashed once more and he found himself looking down from a position high over the earth. The familiar planet of white and blue, green and brown looked more beautiful than he could have imagined. Glancing up, he found the moon and pinpoints of light that corresponded to the larger space stations and habitats that orbited the earth. Looking around, he clearly saw Al now. He appeared as a perfectly reflecting ball, with Earth mirrored on its convex surface. Do you have a preference for a place you would like to be taken? asked Al. If you don't want to be here, I can take you to any of your other colonies instead. N no, no, this is fine. I, uh, I'd like to go to Washington, D.C. That's where the headquarters for the Space Service is. I just wish I could take something with me that would prove I had this conversation. No one will believe me. Not even with the recording I've made, he thought. If you wish, hold out your hand. Matt did, and a small silver bubble appeared. It was perhaps about three inches across and was extremely slippery, frictionless in fact. He had to bend his fingers into a claw around the object to keep it in his grasp. What is it? Consider it a mystery. It is much like the bubble that protects me. It is a white hole, the opposite of a black hole. Anything can leave its edge, but nothing can enter. Show it to your scientists. It will likely generate a lot of interest. Tell them that there is something special inside, and when your people can open it, I will know, and it will be time for us to talk again. Without having a chance to respond, Matt suddenly experienced the sensation of falling. A flash of light blinded him, and he fell hard against an unyielding surface. As his vision returned, he looked around to find himself sitting on the ground outside the headquarters of the Space Service in Washington, D.C. Standing slowly, he looked around, but no one seemed to have noticed his abrupt arrival. Breathing the cool, fresh air, he stared down at the tiny silver globe in his hand. Thanks, Al, Matt called out, but there was no reply. 
Walking toward the marble steps of the building, Matt started cursing under his breath as he thought of other questions he should have asked. Thank you for listening. We love our listeners, fans, and patrons. If you loved what you heard, please like and subscribe to our audio anthology and consider visiting our Patreon site at www.patreon.com forward slash Melissa Del Toro voiceover. If you'd like to read more of the stories in the Untold Tales series, not narrated here on our podcast, you can find Jeff's books on amazon.com in paperback and Kindle format. The links for all of this information are conveniently listed in this episode's show notes. Thank you and have a wonderful day.